Amen. Morning, guys. Are you well? Did you enjoy that new song this morning? Some of you heard that song before? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of these songs that's very, very poetic, and so you can sort of um, get lost in the lyrics, but, but there's a part in the lyrics that just really blesses me where it talks about um, our, the, our knees hitting the ground, and that's when we touch the sky. And, and man, that is just so backwards, isn't it, from the way that we typically think? And, and there's, a, there's a lyric in the song that talks about, you know, I climbed so high and then I fell. And every one of us, or at least I think most of us, can relate to this idea that, that, you know, you're trying to live the Christian life, you're trying to be pleasing to God, you're trying to do good things and all that kind of stuff, and you try and you try and you try and it gets tiring and it, and it, it begins to wear you out and then, bam, you step in a hole and you fall and you're just back to square one and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? And it's almost like when that happens, God just goes, oh, finally, finally you got it. Now that you're on your knees, that's where you're going to find me. And it's so important for us to just remember that we got to get on our knees to find the Lord. And uh, he meets us in our, in our times of uh, greatest need. So I'm super thankful for that. Um, we are now in part seven of this sermon series called Putting Down the Gavel, Loving Like Jesus. Uh, so that means we've been at this for a couple months. Are you sick of it yet? Yeah, you know, some of you are like, I, I know I'm supposed to say no. I guess I should say no. Um, it's been a little bit rough, to be honest, this, this sermon series for me, because you know I've been grappling with all of the stuff, some of which I'm sharing with you. And, and if you don't know this, when you prepare sermons, 90% of what you prepare ends up on the cutting room floor, and then 10% ends up out here. And, and so much that I've been reading and thinking about that, that just doesn't paint the church in a good light, shows Christians as not being respected in the community, and people look at us as hypocrites, and we've talked about this for weeks now, and, and you know, it's been a little bit hard-hitting where I've kind of said, hey, look, you know, it's my job sometimes to hold up a mirror to the body of Christ and go, let's see ourselves as we actually are. Let's not have this, this you know, um, delusion of grandeur and think that we're some amazing uh, church and why doesn't the rest of the world see the gospel when the rest of the world is standing back and going, hey, there's some things that I see in Christians that make me not want to see Christ. And so we've been dealing with that and we've been being honest about that and grappling with that and saying, Lord, how can we be the kinds of people that draw people to you instead of the kinds of people who push people away from you? And it's been hard. And last week we talked about serious issues that are facing our world and our communities today and, and just basically said, listen, we have no excuse. We have to help. We have to get involved. And it's challenging stuff. So I have good news for you. Today is going to be different. Today is all about encouragement. My whole goal for today is that when you leave here, you will be so excited and energized and encouraged to go out and, and actually live out this life of Christ that he has in mind, that you will be ready to charge hell with a water pistol when you leave this place today. That's the idea, okay? So sit back and, and get ready to just be encouraged. Because sometimes I think we get off track when we, when we think about Jesus and we think about the gospel, and, and we miss just a little bit, and it puts us in, a, in really the wrong place. Um, 
one of my favorite places in the world is Uganda, and whenever I'm in Africa, I've seen this in other places in Africa too, but, but I have a lot of friends in Uganda who are children, and um, there, there's just something about um, them that they have my heart, and, and one of the things that happened one time is, you know, you get in the van when it's time to leave or when you're arriving, and, and they're waiting for you, and they see you, and you're waving, and they're running up to the van, and it's all exciting, and then you get in the van to go away, and and you're waving, you know, goodbye, goodbye, and they start chasing the van. And, and pretty soon there's like this whole gaggle of kids that are just chasing after you, and you're like, goodbye, goodbye, and there are more and more kids, and you're like, okay, goodbye, more and more kids, and they just keep coming and coming. And it took me like three trips to Uganda before someone explained to me that in Uganda this means follow me. <laughs> like we go like this, they go like this, right? And and I think that's how we get it wrong with Jesus sometimes. Is, is it, you know, Jesus is going, hey, Doug, follow me. And I'm going, hi, right? And he's going, no, I think you're missing it. I'm not just saying hi. I'm actually calling you to follow me. And there are two specific types of calling that I've been thinking about where Jesus calls us in the New Testament. Um, one of my favorites is in Matthew chapter 11. Get your Bibles because you're going to need them today. We're going to be all over the map in your New Testament today. But let's start at the beginning of the New Testament, book of Matthew. Go to chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, this is a well-known passage, but uh, I want us to, to revisit it a little bit and think about it. Jesus is speaking here, Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. And he's about to give us a call. Here's the call. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He, we think about a calling from God. We usually think about something He wants us to do, right? He's calling me to start a ministry. He's calling me to give some money. He's calling me to go on a mission trip. He's calling me to this or that. But this is a great calling here because he's not calling us to do anything except come to him. And he says, come to me. And he's calling specifically those who are weary and heavy laden. That means pressed down with burdens. Now, I'm sure no one in this room ever feels weary and heavy laden, right? Man, I do. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Not just like rest for your body, but rest for your soul, like a, a spiritual rest, a deep abiding sense of well-being and comfort and peace. He offers that to us. He goes, but you have to come to me. And so I'm calling you, come to me, because I have to offer you the very rest that you need. And you've been trying to find it in all kinds of places and you just get more and more weary. And I'm saying to you, come to me and I'll give you rest. It's awesome. But there's another calling too also found in Matthew. If you flip back to Matthew chapter 4, we'll see it there. Because in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, we see this whole other well-known calling from Jesus. It's the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. We pick it up in Matthew 4, 18. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. See, these two callings from Jesus come together. On the one hand, he says, come to me because I have something to give you. I'm going to give you salvation. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you rest. Come to me and receive what I have to give you. But then he goes, but my vision for your life goes far beyond just you coming to me. You actually need to follow me. And when you follow me, he says, I will change who you are. When you come to me, you're a mess. You're weary. You're heavy laden. You're in need of rest. But when you come to me and begin to follow me, in the following, I will change who you are. You were once fishermen, but if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He says to these guys, basically, if you will follow me, if you leave behind the comfort that you have, the things that you know, what you're able to do in your own ability, and you'll lay all of that be, uh, down, and you'll leave it, and you'll begin to follow me, I will make you a world changer. I will make you somebody who I can use to transform the world. It's as we follow him that we become the people that he's always envisioned us to be. Now, you all know John 3.16, right? Everybody heard that verse? All right, we're going to look at a different one. It's called 1 John 3.16. So turn all the way to the back of your New Testament to the book of 1 John. If you get to Revelation, just turn back to the left a couple of books. And you'll find 1 John, go to chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 16, beginning in verse 16 anyway. 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Don't miss what it says there in verse 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, we've been talking about this for two months, that it's one thing to say the right thing, it's another thing to actually love people. And loving people isn't nearly so much about how you feel about them in your heart as it is about what you do to bless them in your deeds. The Christian life is a transformed life. Not only does Jesus love us, but he sets us free to love others. And most Christians are great at talking about the love of God. But we're not so great at always transferring that love to other people. We're called to speak the truth, yeah. But we're also called to love people with the same kind of sacrificial, life-giving love that we see Jesus loving people with. And that's where we sometimes get off base, which we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And I was trying to think of how to illustrate this, and this is the best I could come up with. I have a squirt gun, right? I'm telling you it's a squirt gun just so none of you freak out and go, wow, he has a purple plastic gun, run. It's just a squirt gun, okay? 
And um, it's actually full of water, if any of you are wondering. It's actually full of water. Because it's designed to hold water, right? No, it's not. It's not designed to hold water, you guys. A squirt gun is not designed to hold water. A bucket is designed to hold water. A squirt gun is designed to squirt people, right? Does that make sense? So if you have a squirt gun, yes, I'm coming to your section. If you, <laughs> if you have a squirt gun, the idea is not that it's a great water carrier. You have a squirt gun because people need to be squirted sometimes, right? And, and the idea is that God pours his love into us, not so that there'll be some other carrier for his love. He pours his love into us so that his love can get all over the people who are around us. We're not just carriers of his love. You got your glasses clean now? Because I still got the gun. Um, we're not just carriers of his love. We're dispensers of his love. And that's where we can often get, it, get off track. You know, most of us are, are really content to agree with Jesus. We're content to agree with the Bible, right? When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And we go, oh, yeah, amen. Or, or anything we read in the Scripture, we go, yes, I believe the Scripture. I believe the Bible is true. Amen. And, but here's the thing. According to Romans 8, God's plan for our life is not just that we will agree with him. His plan for our life is that he will work in our lives in such a way that he will mold us and shape us so that we will become like him. We're not just called to agree with him. We're called to follow him. And following him means that what he cares about, we care about. Where he goes, we go. What he does, we do. That's what it means to follow him. And so he's called us to follow him in love. And his plan is for us to become just like Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I, you can't miss this nuance. I'm not saying, hey, come on, guys. We got to do better at loving people because if we do, God will love us more. He'll be impressed. Listen, I want you to hear this absolutely loud and clear, okay? If you're wondering about this, I want to clear this up for you right now. You don't have to do anything to make God think you're amazing. He already is crazy about you. He's already crazy about you. I heard an old pastor one time talking about this, and he said, God, God carries a picture of you in his wallet, right? And I love that imagery. It totally makes no sense today. You have to take out your cell phone and go, God carries a picture of you on his iPhone, right? That's the idea. But guys, God's already crazy about you. This is not about going, oh, if I could do more for God, then maybe God will finally be impressed. Maybe I'll finally measure up. Maybe I'll finally earn his love and his care. No, you have it. That's already been settled on the cross. That's not what I'm saying. That's not our motivation for loving others. Why should we love others? What empowers us to love others? Even people who are not very lovable. Where do we get that power? Well, you're in 1 John. Go to chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 19. This is a great verse. If, if you're thinking, you know what, I need to memorize some verses. Here's a nice short verse. Start with this one. Ready? 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. You don't have the power to love like Jesus until Jesus first loves you. And until you've 
you've responded to that first call where he says, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul, then you have nothing with which to love people. But once you come to him and he fills you and you now have the love of God, you become a transmitter of that love. And he calls you to love, not so that he will love you, but because he has already loved you. Does that make sense? It's not about trying to impress him or measure up. Now, if you've been around here any length of time, you have to listen to me preach every week. And, and over the years, um, you know, my, all of my children are adults now. So if you've been in this church 25 years, you've been listening to me talk about my children for all those years. And you've been hearing about how crazy I am about my kids and how my kids are the most wonderful kids in the world. And you've seen pictures of my kids and all that. And by the way, my kids love it when I talk about them in sermons. But you know, besides my kids, I mean, I am nuts about my kids. But you know who else I'm just crazy about? My son-in-law. My son-in-law, Cole, he's married my daughter, Lisa, and, and, and I, I'm just wild about that guy. Like, I am just, I love him so much. I am so thankful for him. And you know why? Because he loves my daughter. Because he loves her well. He loves my grandkids. Man, you thought you had to listen to stories about my kids. My grandkids are even better than my kids. He loves my grandkids and he loves my daughter well. He serves them. He sacrifices for them. He cares for them. He's devoted to them. He's affectionate to them. I just watched my son-in-law and I just praise God because when my daughter Lisa was still in the womb, I was praying for her husband and praying that God would one day give her a husband who would love her with the love that comes only from Christ. And I watched Cole love my daughter and I just love Cole that much more because of it. Guys, if that's how it is for me, what's it like for God? When he watches people, I mean people he loves, hurting people. You know, we could, we could just put up pictures all day, right? We could show you starving children in Africa with stolen, swollen bellies. We, we could show you refugees trying to somehow get across the sea and escape terrorism. We could show you pictures of drug addicts who are in back alleys somewhere just clinging to life barely. We could show you pictures of broken homes and families and children crying as dads drive away. We could show you picture after picture after picture of people that are just broken and hurting and crying. And guess what? God loves every one of them more than I love my kids. What does it do to God's heart when one of us comes along and loves one of them well? God loves it when he's able to pour his love through us to the people that he cares about. And if you follow Jesus, that's possible for you. If you're a Christian and he lives in your heart, that is possible for you. You can be successful. The definition of success is to be pleasing to God. And God says, every time you love one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. That's what's pleasing to God. And so that's why I've been harping this and harping on this. If you go back to Ephesians, remember we were in Ephesians uh, several months ago. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I won't re-preach all of this because I covered it recently, but I want you to just remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul speaking, and here's what he says about Christians. 
He says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We, Christians, we, followers of Jesus, are God's workmanship. And I talked about this at, at length when I preached on this, but, but what it means when it says we are His workmanship is that we are a unique, one-of-a-kind work of art. It means there is no one else like you. That, that Greek word for workmanship really means work of art. It means, if you will, masterpiece. And he's saying that each one of us is God's masterpiece, that we're uniquely created, that there is no one like us. And if there's no one like you, and if God created you for good works that he wants you to walk in, guess what? If you don't walk in those good works, nobody will. Only you can play the role that God has created you to play in His great plan. Nobody else can play your part. That's why He created you. Skip over to Ephesians 4 and look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, I beg you, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Again, he's writing to the Ephesian church, and we, we looked at this when we were studying Ephesians Ephesians uniquely is not just a, um, a letter that was written to the Ephesian church, but it was written to all of the churches at that time and literally to all of churches for all of time. So he's saying, hey, Christians, I'm entreating you to walk in a manner worthy of the high calling that you have received. And, and so I've always sort of read it that way and not thought much about it. This week I read it in Greek and I saw something I've never seen before. In Greek, it says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, when we see the word you in English, in our Bibles, it could either mean you as an individual or it could mean y'all as a group, right? And we don't know whether it's plural or singular. We just take for granted that it's plural because the book is written to all of the Christians, right? But I read it in Greek and it's singular. Isn't that interesting? He says, therefore, I, the prison of the Lord, implore you, just you, Marge, just you, Ricky, just you, Mim, I implore you specifically that you specifically will walk in the manner that is worthy of your specific calling. So every one of us individually has a calling from God, and it goes beyond just the calling, come to me, and it goes just beyond just the calling, follow me, and he goes, I have something that is specific for you that only you can walk in, and if you don't walk in it, you will have missed your purpose, and so that's why he uses such a strong word, I'm imploring you, I'm begging you, please walk in a manner worthy of your calling, because only you can do that. And because of that power, you can do that. And that's what I want to get across today. Guys, this, this problem with the world, this problem with our society and our culture and how so many people have turned their back on God and people are going their own way and trying to find their own truth and all of that kind of stuff and we're just sort of swimming upstream in this culture today, we can do something about it. No, let me say it differently. You can do something about it. He has empowered you to do that. I don't care who you are. If you will follow Jesus and let him love people through you, you can change the world. You go, no, no, 
I'm too old for that. I've already reached an age. My days are behind me. Well, if that's what you believe, you're calling God a liar. Because he says you can. And you say, well, I'm not really trained. I'm not really that gifted. I'm not really that smart. I'm not really this. I'm not really that. I'm not really. I'm not really. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. And you know what God says? I am. I am. I don't care that you're not. That's the point, God says. His very name is I am. I am not dependent upon you, God says. You are dependent upon me, but man, when we hook up and you begin to follow me, you begin to walk with me, power is going to pour through you that can absolutely change the world. Listen to me. God says that he has custom designed you and given you a specific calling, and he fully intends to change the world through you. And he's serious. You, individually, are a part of his plan. And all you have to do is follow him and cooperate to do what you've been born to do. You say, I just, I keep trying, but... I keep falling short, and you know, honestly, I got some issues. I've got some depression, and this depression, I'm just, I don't think I could really do anything. I've got, I've got some addiction, and and how's God going to use somebody who's addicted? You know, I got some scars from wounds that I don't even talk about because it hurts too much to even think about them. How's God going to use? somebody like that, I'm not ready to be a world changer. You remember these kinds of cameras? Right? If you're old like me, right? Remember this? Okay. Um, This was before we had cell phones, so you had pictures instantly. And if you took a picture with a camera, I'm telling this for for the sake of the young people in the room, took a picture with a camera, you had to take this weird thing called film, to a little place and pay them, and then a week later you get the pictures and you get to look at your picture, right? But Polaroid came out with this camera, and it has film built in, and when you press the button, the little thing comes out, right? You remember that? And you tear it off, and what do you do with it? (laughs) You shake it, right? Everybody knows. You shake it. By the way, nowhere in the instructions does it say to shake it. (laughs) But we shake it. Shake, shake, we shake it. Why are we shaking it? We want it to develop faster, right? We're trying to get it to develop. We shake it and shake it so it will develop, right? Guys, some of us are taking our lives and we're just shaking and shaking and going, I'm not developed, I'm not developed. And you know what? Just set it down and let God develop you. Just let him do it at his pace. It doesn't matter that you're not as eloquent a speaker as somebody else. It doesn't matter that you don't have the financial resources of somebody else. It doesn't matter that you don't have the experience of somebody else or the, or the uh, health of somebody else or the connections or whatever. God made you to be you and he's developing you. How do you develop? You follow him. As you walk with him, he leads you and guides you and he begins to reveal to you what your gifts are and what your calling is and what you should be passionate about. The picture will become more clear as you walk with him. The Christian life is not nearly so much about who you are as it is about who you're becoming. We've got to get this straight, guys. You look in the mirror and you go, oh, not good. And God goes, yeah, I know, but I have a vision. 
for what you're supposed to look like. I have a vision for where you're going and who you're becoming, and I'm going to take you there if you, if you just walk with me. And you know what? Wherever you're at in this journey and development, if you're a Christian, you have something to share with hurting people. You have the love of Jesus. And he poured it into you, not so you could hold it, but so he could use you to squirt people with it. That was the idea. So just take the advice that God gives his people over and over again in Scripture. We see it all these times. You know, he, say, he says to Moses, hey, I got this huge plan for you. And Moses goes, um, um, I don't, I, I, I. And he goes, listen, Moses, do not be afraid. We see Joshua, and he's got to lead them into the promised land. He's going to have to take down the walls of Jericho by walking around and blowing trumpets. And Joshua goes, ah, ah. And, and God says, Joshua, do not be afraid. Some of us are missing God's plan for our lives just because we're afraid. We're just afraid to take that step. We're afraid of what would happen if. We're afraid to make that sacrifice. And, and God says, do not be afraid. He says it over and over and over. It's the most repeated command in the Bible. And he says it over and over again. And usually he says it this way. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. God, see, we got to get this straight. God doesn't send us places. You know the old saying, please don't send me to Africa. Lord, I'll do anything, but don't send me to the Amazon or whatever. Listen, don't worry about that. Seriously, God doesn't send anybody anywhere. God invites people to join him. He brings you places. He doesn't send you places. He doesn't send you off to do something that he couldn't do. He invites you to join him wherever you go with God is the safest place you could possibly be because you're in the center of God's will. I'm not saying you won't get hurt. You might even get killed. And then you'll be in heaven. What a bummer. See, walking with God takes away all the risk. And we're so afraid to take the risk to walk with God. He says, don't be afraid. In fact, he commands us not to be afraid. He says, listen, just grab my hand and we'll jump together. <laughs> just grab my hand. Just don't jump on your own. Just grab my hand and we'll jump together. Uh, Christy and I have some friends um, this lady is the best cook. She, and, and they'll have us over for dinner. Like, we get together for dinner all the time. Very rarely at our house. Because this lady can cook. And so she'll say, you want to come over for dinner? And I'm like, yes, yes, we do want to come over for dinner, right? And, and then I'll always say the obligatory statement, what can I bring? And usually she'll say, just bring yourself. And I go, because you know what? I could try to make something. Christy could try to make something, but it would look stupid on her table. <laughs> like, oh, really? You're going to serve this along with that? Right? Listen, God calls us to his table, and he doesn't go, I'm inviting you so you could bring the mashed potatoes. That's not why he's calling you. He says, bring yourself. Because what I've got, you can't compete with anyway. You, you just come. You just come. I'm just calling you. Bring yourself and experience what I have in mind for you. It's going to be good. 
It's not about what we bring to the table. It's about who's bringing us to his table. It makes all the difference in the world. Take your Bibles again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're in Ephesians, just go left a couple of books. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's look at it from another perspective. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 26. Paul writing to the Corinthians, here's what he says. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. See, God says, listen, I understand you're not wise. I understand you're not noble. I understand you're not powerful. I understand your track record is not impressive. That's not why I called you. In fact, he says, I really like weak people. Because when I take a weak person and work through a weak person, nobody gives praise to the person. They always see where it came from. He, and he says, he, he comes right out. He goes, listen, I'm not going to hide this. I'll tell you the reason is. It's so that no man can boast. I want to use weak people to change the world so that when people see it, they'll go, look at God. God is amazing. God is powerful. God is wonderful. What an amazing God this person serves. And guys, when you see people that God is using to transform the world, you see these people, you know, like, um, like Edie who comes and, and she's got this whole ministry in Uganda. And you go, wow, she must be so qualified. She must be so well-trained. She must have a degree in missiology. None of those things is true. You know what she has? A heart that says, I'm willing to love because God has first loved me. And you could say that about people who are changing the world all around you. There are people in our church who are doing things just on a daily basis without anybody knowing about it that are changing the world. We have people that are going out on their own dime and just feeding the homeless, putting themselves in harm's way in order to make sure that hungry people are fed. We have people who are... Uh, who are volunteering in the, in the community, working with children and at-risk teens and making a difference and changing their lives in ways that nobody even sees happening right now. But when those teenagers are 30 and 40 and 50 years old and they look back and say, what was it that changed my life? It would be this person, this, this person that nobody ever heard of who just volunteered at the teen center and said, I'll hang out with you, I'll spend time with you, and they shared the love of Jesus with me. Guys, God's not looking for the great and the powerful and the mighty. He is great. He is powerful. He is mighty. He doesn't need you to bring anything. Bring yourself. Watch what he does when you bring yourself. It's all about him. Remember the calls? Come to me. I will give you rest. Follow me, and I will change the world through you. And it's not one or the other. It's both. Friends, if you can think of some way to love people, just take his hand and jump. If you can find some way to love people, be a foster parent. Be an adoptive family. Be a, a, a mentor. Feed the hungry. Coach a team. Pray with a friend who's hurting. Share the gospel with someone who hasn't heard it. Um, 
you know, touch the hurting. Love your family well. These are impactful, life-changing, world-changing things that you can do. Be who you were made to be. Follow Jesus. Touch a life. Start a movement. Change the world. You can do it. He made you to do it. The world needs you to do it. Because, because when it comes to touching the world, God has a plan. It's called the church, and there is no plan B. We're it. He's poured His love into us so that everybody else can get soaked with it. God loves doing amazing things through unlikely people so that people will see how great He is. Listen, on your own strength, you could be legalistic and arrogant and judgmental. You could do that on your own strength, right? And because you wear the label Christian, people will associate those things with God. Or you can love people. Sacrificially, extraordinarily, you can love people. You can touch lives and change the world by God's power, and everyone seeing how weak you are will give Him the glory. The choice is yours. But know this, God is looking for people that He can use to change the world. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And I always do this when I quote it. It says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He might strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. And I always just picture God on some sort of a high tower or something just looking out and going, is there anybody out there? Is there anybody who's willing to just come to me and give me their whole heart? Because a person like that, I'm going to strongly support that person. I'm going to get behind that person. I'm going to carry that person. I'm going to provide for that person. I'm going to meet all of those needs. I'm going to finance the ministry. I'm going to support and encourage and give health and all the things that are needed. I'm going to bring others alongside because I'm looking for that person, just that one person who's willing to give my, my, my truth a try, who's willing to give me their whole heart, and I can strongly support them. Still think you can't make a difference? You still think God uses the heavy hitters, Moses, David, Elijah, people like that, and you ain't one of those? <laughs> I don't hear, I, I never ever heard God in an audible voice. I don't know if anybody does, but I haven't. But I do memorize a lot of Scripture, and I often hear God in Scripture. And sometimes I'll just, I'll just be walking, and then a verse will just pop into the front of my mind, and I'll know that the Lord is speaking to me. And 30-some and years ago, I memorized the book of James, and God speaks to me from just over and over from the book of James. And, and this week, something amazing happened. Um, I was uh, part of the group that was helping... Uh, the McDonald family moved. They had to move yesterday on Saturday. The new people moving in on Sunday. They had this little window in which to move. And I don't know if anybody noticed, but it rained this week. Did anybody notice that? Right? Storm of the century and all that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, Friday night, I remember, you remember what it rained like on Friday? I, I, it's like the water was coming up from the street. It was just water everywhere. And, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, 
they kind of move in the rain. I took out my app, the Weather Channel, and I pressed it and looked at Saturday, 100% chance of rain. And I was just starting to pray that somehow God would still have people come and help them, even though it was raining. And, And then out of nowhere, this verse popped into my head from James chapter 5. Let me just read it to you. It's in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And maybe some of your translations say, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Those verses popped into my head out of nowhere. So much so that it startled me. And I stopped and thought, what's that about? And then I said, well, okay. I said, Lord, please make it not rain tomorrow. <laughs> not, I can't do it for three to five years. But let me tell you this. We got them completely moved, and none of their stuff got wet. It did not rain at all the whole time that we moved them yesterday. So I'm just saying, you guys got moved because of me. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> so here's the deal. I have no idea if it would have rained or not if I hadn't prayed. I know I can't control the weather. I get that. Here's what I'm saying. Elijah is a man just like us. Elijah? Elijah, the one who had the power to raise the dead? Elijah, the prophet who spoke the very words of God? Elijah, who called down fire from heaven? Elijah, who didn't even die but rode into heaven in a chariot? He's just like me. You don't know me. God knows you. And he said, Elijah is just like you. See, God used Elijah to change the world. What could he do with us? What could he do with you? If you were just willing to come alongside and join him in the calling that he has for you. He wants to do the exact same thing through you that he did through Elijah. He wants to change the world. Here's the question. Will you join him? That's the only thing that remains to be seen. Will you join him? I think that's a good place to stop. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, as we stand before you, uh, we know 